Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me this evening are Mark Detoy from Oyster Catcher Investments and Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers. If you'd like to send questions, please do SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at Business Day TV using the hashtag Stockwatch. Uh, Mark, Rowan, good to see you both there this evening. Uh, Mark, if I may start with you tonight, the market uh, was quite weak today, and I suppose we have um, US uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell to blame, uh, or do we? Um, given what happened to the U.S. markets on Friday after his very, very brief appearance at the, the Jackson Hole shindig? Yes, I mean, I guess today we are our markets kind of catching up to, to where the U.S. markets closed on Friday, so opening weaker and staying weaker for the day. Um, I mean, Powell basically reiterated the stance that they have to be tough on inflation, um, which, I mean, I think was largely expected uh, there's no way that the central bank can basically say up front that they're going to back off on, on rate increases before they've actually achieved their, their outcome because what they're trying to do is anchor inflation expectations in people's minds. And so he has to talk a tough game. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I guess it brought to an end the, the rally that you had over the last month. Mm. Rowan, um, I suppose the tough game would also imply further interest rate increases, which means a rampant dollar, I guess, or, or does it? And, and, and that's obviously something that we have to pay attention to, especially if you're either looking to take money offshore or um, uh, the dual listed stocks on the JSE, which will manage okay uh, with, with the RAND exchange, uh, dollar exchange rate being as weak as it is, uh, I suppose, against us. Yes, certainly. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it certainly is uh, rampant, the dollar, and uh, you've got a currency uh, that's printing uh, high single-digit uh, inflation levels, but uh, remains incredibly strong. So, you've got a strange situation where the, the RAND uh, CPI is, is lower than dollar CPI at the moment, but uh, notwithstanding that, we've seen the RAND and many other emerging market currencies set off significantly and so that is having uh, major repercussions i think the rand is particularly weak i saw research uh, from one of the big banks saying that uh, it's uh, on sort of purchasing power parity it should be closer to 1540 to the dollar so that gives you an idea of the potential undervaluation so certainly i think the rand can strengthen as sort of risk aversion uh, taps off we already saw this afternoon sort of as markets recovered from their lows. Mm. So it, it's a bit of an indicator of risk on risk off. So uh, it, it's quite a, a tough call at the moment. But uh, it's also having a significant impact on the U.S. markets and multinational earnings. And yeah. so that's putting a further dampener. And I guess that is partly what the Fed's trying to achieve. It's just a general slowdown. Um, imported costs will come down. And uh, so I think we, as long as this uh, rate hiking cycle remains intact, the dollar will remain strong. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's um, a question that's come through that is sort of a neat segue from the RAND to MathMart. <laughs> I didn't think it was possible, but uh, the viewers always come up with something useful. Um, and the question is, with Walmart wanting to delist MathMart, will the purchase have a positive effect on the RAND or would they already have bought forward cover? Mark, I mean, in dollar terms, it's actually what, only... $377 million that Walmart has to shell out or thereabouts? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's not big enough to to swing the rand. I mean, there will be a inflow of, of foreign currency into South Africa. So, effectively, they have to buy rands. But it's it's nowhere near big enough to kind of move the move the exchange rate. Alas. Um, but, yeah, net, net positive, but 
not going to make much difference. Okay, well, let's um, let us discuss um, the announcements uh, that came in this morning. Um, if I can pull up the questions, which I seem to be battling to do. Um, Sorry. Um, okay, I'll go to. There's, there are two questions on on the MassMart Walmart deal. Uh, so one of them is: um, Is there any further upside in the MassMart share price after the 42% gain in the day? Rowan, I suppose um, in order to provide context to ourselves, we have to remember that this takes us back to the share price enjoyed in January this year. I mean, this is so far off our highs. So it's great, but it's you know if you bought at 75 bucks last year, you're still a loser. Yeah, so it's been a very tough uh, investment call, MassMart. They've been going through a significant turnaround uh, under CEO Mitch Slate. I think there have been some sort of traction there, their results, which they also uh, announced uh, this morning uh, together with that announcement, uh, showed some element of recovery, but still a huge amount of work that needs to be done. And uh, obviously, uh, the economic environment also weighing them on the business, general merchandise in particular, more discretionary. And so um, their margin came down as their mix changed. So... If you look at it uh, as an investor, and, and the, the share price was also 62 Rand in 2019. So it sort of moved up and down more with sentiment of uh, the potential for the business uh, as opposed to the underlying results. And I think just given the amount of uh, support that Max, uh, Walmart has had to provide to the, billion, uh, to the business, over 4 billion Rand of uh, loans as well, mm -hmm. and just the, the, the extended period of the turnaround, I think it makes sense. And in terms of upside, yeah, at 62 Rand, you can buy it at maybe 58. So I think it's a predefined um, return from here. And I think it's likely minorities will accept the offer. Yeah. Um, Mark, uh, there's another question that asked, um, why will Walmart make a mass, sorry, why will Walmart make MassMart a better business by buying out the minorities? Won't the same regulatory restrictions which made MassMart unviable still be there after the deal? I don't know if this person was referring to some of the restrictions imposed upon Walmart when it took a majority stake. It was um, the, the Competition Commission regulations. They, they weren't allowed to fire anyone, which they didn't do, but they have gone through a Section 189 process in the last couple of yeah. years. Um, but maybe on the point of making a mass mart a better business, do you think it's easier to do this out of the public eye? Yeah, I think that that is kind of what we thought when we saw the announcement come through is that it, it is easier to to reshape uh, or restructure a business outside of the the public, um, outside of it being listed, because you know you're not in the public eye the whole time, and um, it's clear that they are going to have to make some changes to to improve the business and get a return um, on, on what they're paying for it. So so yeah, I mean our kind of thought was that it, they wanted to take it private so that they can fix the business um, with kind of less restriction. Mm. I mean, Rowan, does that imply, do you think actually MassMart might come back to the market in a few years' time, that Walmart would want to fix it and then get out? Do you, think, do you see that happening? And, and, you know, you look at MassMart and you think, um, is MassMart just a victim of really awful trading conditions in South Africa? Or can you make that argument if you compare it to the likes of a ShopRite or a Lewis or, or any of the apparel retailers? And I think the answer there would be no. Yeah, so, I mean, MassMart had had a bit of a perfect storm. I mean, they uh, were particularly exposed to the riots last year and the significant looting and losses. And then there were the floods in KZN. 
Um, so you can't sort of blame management too much. I think the, the, the builder's business actually was doing quite well. Macro had been doing well in the past. Um, uh, so it's it just and there were mainly in general merchandise in, in the game business, and that has had macro headwinds and uh, moved to online. And so maybe they've been in a bit of denial and they could have moved quicker in terms of co- turning that business around or converting it to online, but now they've realized they need to do this. It requires a lot of capital, requires a lot of effort and focus. Being listed does defocus you. Mm. you you're spending money on, on, on non-operational and time, and most importantly, on non-operational aspects of the business. So I think in the quiet, unlisted environment, they can really get on with the turnaround. I think it's maybe larger than they'd initially anticipated. Um, where that goes in terms of the business relisting, I guess it remains an option. I think. They did, I believe, exit from the UK ASDA in its entirety. So I think it'll, if they if they see traction in the original sort of business case coming to the fore, I think they'll keep it as an unlisted mm. subsidiary. They want to be in Africa. This gives them that positioning. So that original rationale holds. They just have to get a return on their yeah. investment. And it's best done as an unlisted business. Yeah, okay. Um, well, moving on to one of the other results that came out today was Sun International. Um, and this is a positive news story. And the viewer says, I was surprised today to see Sun International paying a dividend of 88 cents for the first time since 2016. Can this be the turning point? And uh, for Sun International, also the disposal of some property in Menlin um, and, and acquisition in Pretoria this month. Uh, Mark, do you think Sun International is on a new trajectory? Yeah, I mean, I think the the results are actually uh, quite pleasing. I mean, you saw their gaming income from gaming up 30%. And I mean, it really is still a, a normalization story coming out of out of COVID and, you know, people wanting to, to go out and do things again. Um, and yeah, we also the dividend was, um, uh, was nice to see. So I would kind of agree that there is a bit of a, not a renewal, but a kind of a, a return to normal and um, I think you will see the earnings continue to grow from here and also the dividend payout. Mm. Uh, would it's not particularly keep on our numbers but yeah but I mean I do think it, it's not it's not a bad story anymore. <laughs> no no it's not it's not the horror show it once was. I mean uh, Rowan you know this is uh, and, and the fact is that that the dividend draft predated COVID so, um, I mean, looking at Sun International, I was surprised actually there wasn't much more reaction in the share, um, given that they did announce a dividend. Would, would you want to buy them at this point? Yeah, look, I think what we are seeing is a significant rebound from COVID in terms of certain sectors. And one of those is uh, leisure uh, and gaming and uh, hospitality tourism. And I think there is... Uh, potentially a good trajectory of growth for the business. I think the sort of trading in December will sort of uh, give an indication of how much the rebound is sort of taking hold. But um, they're probably better businesses now. So as you say, the, the last dividend was in 2016. So through the process of COVID and the shutdowns, I think they've been able to rationalize maybe more aggressively uh, than they would have um, had they not been in this crisis situation. They were able to, to raise additional capital to bolster the balance sheet also um, during that period. So that's positive. And I think, uh, as I say, are better businesses. Mm. These sectors are coming back strongly. Um, Anecdotally, they look very good. I think we could see a very good December. So it it could be one, yeah, to to sort of hold it for the medium term uh, as as the the turnaround continues. And the question that came through from a viewer who was clearly a canny buyer of 
uh, Sun International, City Lodge and Soho Sun. I'm all at the, I guess, the worst uh, in peak COVID lows. And he says, I hold Soho Sun International and City Lodge, which all got at very, very low prices. But now I want to consolidate, sell all and increase just one. So which ones would you sell if you were going to do that? And would you sell, Mark? Um, I think I would actually look to to diversify uh, away from just holding only um, um, hospitality and gaming stocks. Um, I mean, given that the Science International's results were better than expected and we can see a bit more of a runway for them now, I think I would keep the Sun International. Yeah, and then uh, look to, to own a wider portfolio uh, from there. Mm. I mean, this doesn't suggest that this person only has hospitality stock, so um, okay, uh, but point taken. Uh, Rowan, if you had City Lodge, Soho and Sun in your basket of shares, uh, which ones would you sell? Yeah, I mean, it's quite an interesting choice because yeah, you're starting to see the share price traction in, in um, uh, Sun International to a certain extent in Soho as well in terms of having recovered. Uh, City Lodge is a difficult one because I guess they were more, more reliant on business travel and I think that will come back, um, but not as much maybe as uh, leisure. Uh, and so although it's reflected in the prices right now. So I think the relative value of the three is sort of fairly even in terms of the medium-term prospects. Um, but depending on the size of the investment, I mean, you'd have to look at the sort of relative performance and, and maybe just concentrate it in a particular stock. But uh, it, it seems like a reasonable portfolio. So I don't know enough about the, the, the absolute points of value at this point in time to say I prefer one of the other. But I'd say you need to have a close look at relative value and decide what you feel are the better prospects and, and, and make your decision based on that. Okay. Okay. Uh, then Huleman came out with results today. So the last set, I suppose, under Richard Jacob, the CEO. Um, and the question is, it produced stellar financial results. Can we now expect a re-rating of the share price since this year's sell-off? Mark, um, I mean, it jumped today, what, about five-odd percent. Um, do you think this might, might be Huleman on a steady upward path? Because Huleman tends to do this, does really well, and then falls back again, and no one really knows... Um, how to build on its sort of lack of consistency. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a cyclical stock and highly geared to commodity prices. So, you know, you do get these, you know, the, the kind of the ups and downs along the way. And because it, it doesn't have a diversified portfolio itself, I mean, it's, it just adds to the volatility. Plus, it's not a particularly large, well, it is not a large cap stock. So, so I mean, it is it's a difficult... Uh, one to invest in, I think. Um, and it was interesting that we didn't, I didn't see a dividend um, in the announcement today, which again, like when, you, when you're holding the, the mining stocks and the commodity stocks, you want to see them returning capital when, when the times are good, um, or at least some capital at least. So, because there are times when, when uh, they at the bottom of the cycle and they're all losing money and it's, you know, it's the kind of survival of the fittest. So, I, I don't know. I, I would. I, I'm hesitant. I mean, if you want to invest in commodity stocks, I prefer the the larger stocks that have liquidity. So, if things do start looking tough for them, you can actually trade out of your position.
Mm. Um, Huniman's not a not a stock that we own. Yeah, but it's not really a classic commodity stock either because it you know it makes extrusions, it makes things out of the aluminium. Um, Rowan, do you what would how do you view Huliman at this juncture? Yeah, it's, I mean it's certainly speculative, and I think it may be a speculative buy. Um, it's trades at a deep discount to NAV, and I think it's sort of generally underperformed and sort of underdelivered. But uh, there was a prospect of a potential buyout just given the deep discount that it was trading at, and I guess. If you feel the prospects are improving and they can improve their return on capital, that massive invested base, and I guess in terms of infrastructure investment, which would be uh, where the demand would come from, you'd see that improving. That uh, it is quite geared to that and, and can um, do quite well. It looks like the prospects for aluminium are fairly solid in the medium term. And uh, possibly uh, with renewables and sort of general uh, growth, there may be opportunities there. So I think it's one to look at closely. Uh, yeah, it would be speculative, it would be a small portion mm. of, of, of a portfolio though. Okay. Yeah, and maybe also a buyer comes back, although it did seem that the, the DTI was very resistant to a takeout. Yes. So I don't know who would manage to convince the authorities. So that is the major stumbling block. Um, so don't maybe bet on, on a, a white knight buyer. Um, okay, moving on to MTN. Uh, the question is, in the past two weeks, MTN is down 15% despite good results. So what exactly is the market pricing in here? Is this a case of the telecom sector? Uh, in other words, high inflation, therefore growth stocks being under pressure? Or is this simply around the potential telecom takeover? Regardless of when and if that does materialize, how cheap or not is the stock now? And is it worth taking a position? Uh, Mark. Yeah, so I mean, you're right. It has it has underperformed. I think, I mean, we've been looking at it quite closely. There are problems in in Ghana in particular in fiscal problems. So, you know, the worry is that these telco companies are quite a soft target, and we have seen it in Nigeria particularly um, for for additional taxes. I mean, they, you know, you can introduce a transaction tax on 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 um, money transfers, which we saw in, in Kenya. Um, you, I mean, it's, it's quite easy to, to implement additional taxes on these telecom companies. Um, but having said that, you know, it does look like, the, like you are getting paid for that risk now. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, we actually, we kind of looking at it more closely, um, but, you know, just hoping that, <laughs> the problem is, is you just don't know what, you know what kind of what's going to come out of the woodwork in those countries that are under fiscal stress so hmm. that is the risk and, for, and just mark before i get to rowan for you the telcom deal would that be good f in your view for tel uh, for uh, for mtn yeah we think it is good for mtn i mean we think that there are nice assets in telcom um that will benefit mtn and um it is also again i mean another deal that's that's got a lot of uncertainty to it so it, you know, it seems in the last um, in the AGM vote that we saw last week, it seems that um, you know the, the government shareholder is not particularly excited with what's happening there and voted down quite a few of the of the, um, of the items. So yeah. yeah, so again, there's there's risk to it, but we think if the deal goes through, it'll be good for good for MTN. Yeah. I mean, Rowan, to be honest, I'm quite staggered that Telcom, I'm, sorry, MTN is now at 130 Rand after cresting the 200 Rand mark uh, in, in April. 
is it as simple as actually just plotting what's happened to the MTN share uh, price against what's happened to the oil price? Uh, could it simply be, and I, and I ask that because of its exposure in Nigeria, which is a huge market for it in Nigeria, having done, you know, it has more revenues, people are richer when the oil price goes up. I mean, is it that, is that the correlation? Is that the yeah. issue? I think that is one of the uh, leading indicators and uh, is one of the reasons. It's, uh, as Mark pointed out, there's a myriad of risks there in the business. And, uh, uh, it, yeah, in terms of uh, repatriating foreign currency and at what exchange rate, particularly in Nigeria and then the various other jurisdictions that they operate in, um, there was a whole fintech story around the, the business as well and them uh, either spinning that out or, or realizing the value there. And I think also with uh, tech valuations coming off, that's been part of it as well. Um, and then you have some uncertainty about uh, a large transaction and, and the price they'll pay. So I think taken all together, and then you've got gem markets going down generally as well. So mm. uh, taken all together, it's just uh, added to share price weakness. But yes, at 130, I think it's it's interesting. Some of the parts, uh, EV to EBITDA basis, it does look quite attractive. And as Mark said, you're getting more adequately uh, rewarded in terms of potential re returns for, for the risks. And uh, so, so yeah, at this price, I think it is certainly a lot more interesting. Okay. And then a quick question on Old Mutual, which is out with its results tomorrow. Um, um, the viewer says the shares all over the place, which you don't really expect, I suppose, from an insurance company. The announcement of the new share scheme uh, to grow black ownership, what impact is this going to have on an already poorly performing share? Um, Mark? Okay. No, I mean, there is further dilution, but... I don't think that that, you know, on our numbers, all mutual is quite, quite cheap. I mean, we do think it, uh, it holds a lot of value. Um, I think it was my stock pick quite recently. So, so we like the stock. There's a bit of dilution from the BE scheme, but uh, I mean, I don't think that that's really the overhang at the moment. Um, the problem at the moment is that we saw the announcement of Comcom looking into, um, certain practices between the life insurers and that's going to be a bit of a, a larger overhang on, on on the life insurance companies in the over the next while because i mean this investigation is going to take a long time to conclude yeah and i expect that there's normally quite a bit of noise involved hmm. rowan um i mean does old mutual to some extent just it's it's a proxy for the market in a way is that why it's been as kind of volatile as it has um and also on a downward trajectory yeah, certainly. So uh, all the large life insurers are exposed to equity markets and capital markets. So a good portion of their earnings uh, in terms of uh, performance fees and, and general management fees would come through uh, share price performance or underlying portfolio performance. And uh, then they also have a large uh, invested portfolio of shareholders funds. Typically, that would be heavily invested in the market as well. So those are um, reasons, yeah, that they, they would be exposed to market movements. They also price to some extent of a bond yield curve in terms of life insurers, and that obviously has been going up. So our operating conditions, although improving, are sort of still challenging. Um, but it is uh, quite cheap. It's a, quite a significant discount to embedded value um, and uh, potential earnings. The dividend yields are also pretty juicy and attractive. And I yeah. think this, uh, yeah, uh, investigation by the Comcom is, uh, yeah, it's, I don't think it would be a significant impact. You know, the dilution from the, the BE share scheme is small, but it does show you that this market 
you're struggling to get ratings just across the board. I mean, we're talking yeah. about how cheap shares are, and I think the insurance sector is particularly cheap at the moment. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll see what comes out of the results tomorrow as well. Yeah. Um, but getting to your stock picks this evening, Rowan, sticking with you, what are you going for? Yeah, so we're going with Pepco. I think uh, we like it, a value-based retailer, uh, has been operating very well, um, has been, I guess, escaping from the, the Steinhoff cloud. They sort of have a P of 13 and we saw the, the news uh, today came out that the um, ex-CEO uh, is coming back as a CEO. And he was really uh, behind, I think, the, the, the growth trajectory of the business. And in a way, um, he sort of took a back seat as Steinhoff got more involved. Yeah. And now that that Steinhoff saga is over, you feel that this is almost maybe a new phase in the business and they can move forward okay. uh, and uh, and improve the, the business. And it's, it's, it's at a P of 13, it looks attractive to us. Yeah. Okay, great. Mark, how about you? Yes, so tonight I'm picking Sassel. So oil price over $100 a barrel again and ran at 1680. So Sassel could earn 100 Rand a share if these uh, spot prices hold. And um, you know, Sassel's also got a bit of a story developing it. Um, it's been through a very difficult period. It's reinstated the dividend now. The balance sheet's looking in much better health. Um, at the recent results presentation, they sp spoke about rebalancing the debt a bit, getting some RAND debt to kind of match the RAND earnings potential of the company. Yeah. So I think that it's, it's also had very poor operating results uh, over the last six months. So they had problems in their coal mining division, which they have not brought back um, some of the old hands to, to fix that business. And it looks like it's going a lot better. Um, yeah, they, had, they have this kind of overhang that they're running out of gas from Mozambique, but they've done more drilling and they found more gas. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of things in Sassel's favor now. And, you know, with these spot prices, it's going to earn decent returns as long as the oil price holds. Yeah, but that's the big caveat, right? Um, Mark Rowan, thanks very much for joining us this evening. Nice to see you both. Um, Mark DeToy is from Oyster Catch Investments. Rowan Williams is from Nitrogen Fund Managers. And Bright's back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Same time, same place. Have a good evening.